Hi, folks, and welcome to the Unconventionalist Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Roost, and today I'm going to do something a little bit different. We're January 2017, and there's something about January that can bring up both a huge wave of hope with an equal amount of stress or anxiety. And this is something that I've seen over and over again through people contacting me and reaching out to me, letting me know that they're going through a bit of a tough time. And there's something that I've never actually done on the show, which is to explain to you my story. Now, I always get someone on the show and explore their stories and hear their message and share that with you. And I've never actually taken the time for myself to stop, reflect and understand how is it that today I came to speak with you and that we got to share this moment over on this episode. And I went through this militant process of going through all my old interviews, some emails and old documents. And that's why this podcast is is coming out late. Well, that and the fact that I definitely was lazy in, in getting it out on time. But more importantly, it was around the fact that I wanted to get this deep work. And I'm really excited about this episode. You're going to hear the evolution of of how I basically very at the very, very beginning started to interview people. We're talking back in 10 years ago and how my voice, how my style has evolved over the years. And I think the reason why I'm I'm really pulled to doing this episode today is that I want to show you that there is this idea that we all have that some people are just more talented than us and some people are just more gifted than us. And that's why they're doing the things that they're doing. And even if it's something that we want to do, we make up that they that the only reason why we're not doing it is because they're better, they're different, and then we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not funny enough, we're not communicated enough, we're not fill-in-the-blank enough. And this is something that I want to put an end to, and, and, and this is both funny and slightly embarrassing because we're going to go deep into the archives of Mark LaRoost, and this is going way, way back. Um, we're talking back 2004, when I very much first started broadcasting and and you got to understand that up until recently I, I hadn't really realized all this I didn't understand why I'd started the unconventionalist it started off as a kind of a pet project on the side as, as a passion project um, just because I wanted to connect with some really interesting people share their stories and just show the world that there's some people doing some great stuff and they're just normal people you know achieving extraordinary things and that we can all do these things and that we all have a story that matters that's really how it started but I guess one of the things I want to do is take you back to the 26th of January 2004. That was the very first time I went live on a university student radio called UKCR. And I'm going to let you discover the sound of my voice. So this is my first show. I'm Casper on Session Up. And you're listening to UKCR Radio 1350 AM. So I hope you UKC people enjoy this song. It's directly from France. Hope you enjoy it. The name is Booba. Now, as you can tell, I don't know what the hell I was thinking back in the day. I mean, I thought I was Eminem pretty much. And the radio show was this concept. It was two hours. It was every week. And I'd put on a bunch of hip hop and reggae and rap music from all over the world. And I'd, and I'd had this idea that I would sort of entertain a campus. And apparently it spilled into, into the town with all the selection of ecliptic music. And I had this thing. 
um, that I called the Special Magic Half Hour. I came up with this concept that basically to try and help people to stay tuned, that they if they stuck with the show, then at the halfway point, I'd show them a surprise. So either it would be a sort of fun fact about an artist that they known, or maybe it's a it's an interesting story. Or I remember once I did it about why we do Valentine's Day, right? Like the story behind Valentine's Day. And it turned out that on the 24th of February, 2004, I invited my friend, my childhood friend, Matt Chauvin, uh, to come and perform live a reggae song. Now, by no means was Matt a professional artist in any kind of way. Uh, we were both studying at uni, and I'd known Matt for, for a long time, and we ended up at the same university, and he played he played music, and he wrote some of his songs, and, and, he, and he came in the studio, and he performed live. Now, it's it's interesting because I didn't really interview him on the show, so I don't really I don't know if I can consider that my first interview, but it was my first guest coming on a show, and uh, yeah, it was two thousand four, and he came on the show, and I just want to share with you this this magic moment of Matt, and this is an archive that I you have no idea what I had to go through to find this a recording. I must have used like an MD tape or some old school tape to record this in the radio, but I found it. And I just want to give you a little taste of Matt. Matt, if you're listening to this, you know I love you. And I hope you'll love me still after. Next up, Rasta Matt, Tarzan Soul Warrior, coming up live on UKCR Radio, 1350 AM. You're listening to Casper and Session Up. And this, my friends, is an exclusivity. So here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Pull up. Yaga, yaga, yo. We sessioning up in our studio, sessioning up in our radio. Special dedicate Marco, hey yo, yaga 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 yo. As I stand in my arms, I am Ethiopia's in a dreadful position. It brings tears to my eyes to see the people suffer. Yo, this man has no shelter and his brethren's a beggar by the government is spending all the money for unnecessary facility and them suffer from hunger. I mean, if that's not golden, I don't know what is. And I don't know if it's more embarrassing the way that I interact on this radio show <laughs> or if it's Matt's uh, Matt's lyrics and singing as a Rasta. We actually, his nickname was Rasta Matt, but, you know, fair play to him. It was just this incredible um, courage, I guess, to come on live on this radio show in the little studio that we had on campus uh, and at Kent University. And so big shout out to Matt for have done that. And, and basically, Matt was the first guest. And I think I repeated this a couple of times. Um, actually, there was a, 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 that was it. In, on the 21st of March, 2004, I invited um, a friend of mine, actually, Nicky Wilshire. But we, we knew him back in the day. We used to call him Mr. Corsini. That was like his stage name. Nick was, Nicky was actually the first guy I met uh, during Freshers' Week. One of the first guys I met during Freshers' Week, it was K-Bar in Keynes College on, on campus. We got talking and, and he knew a little bit about French rap and we, we sort of got along really well. And it turns out that he's he was this incredible MC. And I think because he sung as a kid and then he got into the garage scene, so he could do R&B, garage, beatboxing, hip-hop. And But what made Nicky so special was that he... Um, he was so funny. Like, he would write his own lyrics. He would take maybe songs that we knew, but he would write his own lyrics. And we were always in stitches. And he was always, like, one of the most creative guys I've come across lyrically speaking. He always came up with, like, these amazing and funny sentences. And I remember back then thinking that this needs to be heard. Like, we need to get you uh, out there. And I remember him telling him, come in on the studio and we record, um, you know, a session on, on the radio. And, yeah, so he came in 
And I'm just going to give you a little taste of, of Nikki because this again was some gold that I managed to dig out. And Nikki, if you're listening, uh, those were the good days, my friend. Enjoy. Blaze it up now because I'm back in the dance. And if you feel that, make sure you're holding some hearts. Where's your glass? Let me see it up in the air. And if you're too small, let me see it up on a chair. And if you're too pissed, hold it down for this. Smack the nearest poser. It's part of the Chris. If he starts chatting shit, then what are we doing? Funny thing about Nicky is that I also asked him to record my jingle for my radio show now. Um, I'm not going to tell you what my uh, radio show name was, uh, what my DJ name was. I'll let Nicky uh, tell you by, by this recording that I found. And remember that he did everything with his mouth. We recorded multiple tracks, but he did everything on his own. This this is this is gold. This is gold. DJ Casper, and I want you to know, 30.50, still running the show, every Saturday, 9 to 10, Fetch's new flavor, and we're sending the train. That's right, the name of my show was Session Up with DJ Casper, your friendly DJ host. Uh, I'd love to say I'm not proud of that, but it's, I thought it was pretty genius at the time. It's just quite painful to to look at it now after all these years. And I think after that, I had one more guest in, I think he came on like in, in April 2004. And that was um, Andy, actually, DJ Coroner. Uh, so what you, what you need to understand is we had, had a group of friends and this guy was super talented. He was a DJ and he came in and he scratched and he gave us a little DJ set. And I was I loved hip hop back in the day, and I thought Andy was amazing. And I'll, I'll give you a little, little taste of, of DJ Carter. Oh, I also thought that back in the day that, you know, one of those things when you see like, hi, you're watching MTV or whatever. Well, I thought I'd get Andy to give me a little snippet. And so I'd have like some famous person on my radio. Yeah, this is DJ Corona. You're listening to Session Up. And Andy, if you're listening, thanks for that. I don't know if I ever played it, but it's it's a gold mine that I found. And basically, I, th- I think if I recall correctly, that I had this radio show for maybe a couple of years. That's at least how I remember it. I can't find any archives that proved it, but I think it was a couple of years. My first and second year, at least. Or maybe it was from the January after the first term until the following year. So it was roughly about a year. And I that was it. I kind of, it was fun. And then I went off to study uh, in Spain. And if you know, and the funny thing is I actually, uh, outside this introduction to the Erasmus students in Oviedo, the university I was at, there was this guy outside handing out flyers. And he was handing out flyers for this nightclub in town. And I tried to tell him that I used to run a society a student society, because actually what I forgot to mention is that in my second year of uni, I built a society 
uh, called the Ken Hip Hop Society. I know it was K H S, but it was built around really Nikki and 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 Andy and all these guys that were doing this amazing music. I want to put it out there, and we did some student nights and some charity events and some gigs on campus. And we had we had MCs, we had break dancers, we had DJs. We had like a full board member, like ten of us or something stupid. And uh, so I got it to Spain, and I basically saw this guy giving out flies, and I tried to tell him that I could organize an event. And because I didn't speak Spanish, he didn't speak English. He thought that I was a DJ. So I ended up for a, for a full year <laughs> DJing using Winamp. So for all of you young kids out there, you may not know what the hell I'm talking about. And maybe the older cats, you you might not know what I'm talking about either. But imagine iTunes, right? So Winamp was like an ancestor of iTunes. And it's like if you set up two different iTunes and then you would put your song on and you dim it out and you'd start the other song on the other side as you dim it out just using the volume. So there's no high tech. And I did that. Every Thursday night, I think it was like something like from 10 at night, or maybe earlier, 9 at night to like 3 or 4 a.m., I was going to pay 10 euros an hour, which was a bomb back in the day, and I'd get all my drinks for free, and I'd hang out with like all the cool kids around like the bars and stuff, and I'd go out into different bars and get drinks for free, but it was so amazing. So I accidentally became a DJ back then, not knowing what the hell I was doing, but that didn't involve any speaking. And in fact, I guess I put that on hold and went to university. And three days after I graduated, I joined a company um, called Afro Press Group. And I'm going to do a whole other episode and podcast around this journey. But the reason why I mentioned them is that they were basically a sort of a, a commercial uh, corporate media sales company. I mean, I can't really describe it, but in that, in terms of they do special advertisement sections. So if you've ever opened up a Wall Street Journal or a Sunday Telegraph or The Guardian and you have like you know, the Gambia, the beacon of hope of West Africa, and like some some really fluffy words around this country and how amazing it is and how much you should invest in it and all this stuff. It usually has like a little special advertisement section at the top. Well, that's the company that I joined and they're actually the lead in the world. That they, 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 I think they basically invented this industry like 30 years ago. And um, I joined them and one of the aspects of the job was that you interview people. So you go into these countries, anything from three months to six months uh, at a time, you go around the world and your goal is to interview as many influential and impactful leaders, whether that's in the government or in the business sector, to try effectively to sell advertisement spaces or editorial boxes to them to be able to build this report and then get it published in this newspaper as a special advertising section. And so as a result, we'd go out and we'd meet anything from ambassadors to ministers and so forth. And so my first gig wasn't exactly an exotic location as I was sold at the time, thinking it was going to go to Thailand or some other like really funky place. But I went to Lithuania and I was sent over to Vilnius and it was in August and I remember getting there and I was feeling a little bit uh, low. I didn't actually expect that. I was the first time I was a little bit homesick. The job wasn't at all what I thought it would be, or at least what I'd made up it would be or sold it would be. It's up for debate. And um, as part of the job, we had to interview people, right? So the very first interview I did was on the 3rd of October, 2007. So we're talking three years, well, just, just over three years after I'd actually done my last uh, gig on the radio, I uh, ended up interviewing this guy um, called, I forgot his name actually, I think his name was something like Benaz Gudelis or something like that. He was the president uh, uh, of, of a company called Christina and Fragrance International, I think. And um, and actually, yeah, I, f- I, found, <laughs> I found this audio and I just wanted to, just wanted to, to sort of play, just to, just to hear my first question ever that I asked uh, a guest, I guess. So um, before we, we start this interview, um, I was wondering if it'd be possible if you could give us a brief outline of your business in Lithuania. And uh, what brought you um, to come back from America or here or to start up your business and 
And here's the funny thing about this story, is that that day, I actually, what we call back in the industry, signed on the spot, or OTS, which means that I became one of the very, very few male trainee journalists to sign on the very first interview I ever did, which was a very big deal back then. So I was fast-tracked on this career, like I was going to become this great director and all this stuff. I was just having a good time interviewing people. I just thought it was really fun just speaking with people. And what happened is that I think a week after that interview, some of my, three of my mates from back in Spain in Oviedo, which French guys, had decided to screw going into a job straight after university and actually went off around the world to try and find French entrepreneurs who'd set up abroad to try and show the, the French, I guess, students that they could make it outside of France as well, to try and initiate entrepreneurship outside of France. And they were called Roule Jeunesse. And so Greg Pico and Matt... Um, all came and stayed with me in Vilnius. We all crammed into my little room. I was a trainee in this business. <laughs> and uh, we, were in, we were all crammed in this tiny little room. And that was, I think, probably one of my first interviews in terms of my mates, right? So I interviewed them. Um, here's, a little, here's a little snippet, and here's the, here's the first part of the interview. Discover the world uh, during one year, yeah. like a very big trip uh, we before uh, beginning, starting, uh, working. <laughs> We have to say that uh, it's, uh, at the beginning it's a dream. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, uh, since uh, okay, years, I saw my cousin who did this during mm -hmm. one year on bicycle. Mm -hmm. And I read this book, I saw some pictures, and I said, okay, I, uh, I need to do that uh, one time. And so that was, that was really good fun. And I guess that maybe gave me some confidence around, I love stories. Like I'm really interested in these amazing, interesting, different stories. And as such, I read in the newspaper because what part of our job was we had to read every day the newspaper cut out articles that we knew what was going on in the world. So we didn't walk into a, I don't know, maybe an interview with a minister or an interview with a business leader and we didn't know what was going on in the world, let alone in the country. And so I read up that there was a British duo dance, I don't know what you call them really, um, called Superfly. They were from England and they were coming over to an MTV music event in Vilnius. <laughs> it was Champagne Champagne Bar, I think it was called, the venue. And so I pretty much gay crashed this um, this place by telling them, hey, I want to come and interview you guys. And I don't even remember if I got a yes or a no. What I remember is me just showing up and just blagging my way through the security guards at this MTV thing and getting to meet both of them. And they were really, really nice. And actually, I'm so glad that I've found the original recording of Superfly. And these guys were, I think, to, if I look at it, it depends how you look at it, right? But I think that these guys, you know, this duo, I think they were made up of Panos Liassi and Andrew Toomey. And they were my very first, I want to say, celebrity interview, or like at least like someone that I looked up to. I thought they were pretty cool. And what I was amazed by listening to this interview, which is 10 years ago, I think it's a really cool interview. And it's not, because I don't think I'm doing a great job, but I think it's two things stood out. And I, and I, and I wonder if you're going to hear them. And I'm not going to play the whole thing. I'm going to play you some parts of it because I think there's some of it that are really cool. And I'm going to let you know what I think, what became the birth of the Unconventionalist podcast. You guys are part of the Superfly. Um, it looks like if you could tell us a bit more about your background, how you guys met. Yeah. Okay. I yeah, know that yeah, was a kind yeah, of unconventional. Yeah. Uh, you met through a kind of advert that you responded. Yeah. yeah so yeah, maybe yeah. if you could give a short introduction to the... All right, cool. Yeah, cool, cool. I mean, we met in the, in the loop of all papers. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, um, 
I, I was just finishing uni. All right. And wanted to wanted to get into the music industry. Okay. And P was in the music industry looking for some vocalists. All right. So P put an ad in the in the loop looking for vocalists, and I answered it. There you go. And you know, hey, that was like ten years ago. That was ten years ago, yeah. yeah that was ten years ago, and um, okay. yeah, and we just you know carried on. Have I uh, been trying to get rid of him ever since? <laughs> <laughs> it's been quite a difficult task, yeah, yeah, yeah. hasn't it? Extremely difficult task. Okay. Um, and what does that? I've actually been intrigued. What does, where do you come Superfly from? Because I heard this rumor about it was London. maybe a reference to like a movie from called 1972. Nah, like no, we, nah, we, nah. we made a record. Okay. And the chorus just said, "I'm Superfly." And we put the record out on White Label. And everyone kept calling it the Superfly tune. Right, and so then from that one that just stuck. That was it. Yeah, basically. Okay. We couldn't get rid of the name. No. <laughs> Alright, and I know that you know the last two years have been like a big boom. Yeah, they're wonderful. You. Yeah. And I know that in September, like on the 4th of remember, remember the 4th of September, so Oh like, yeah, uh, the hell did you yeah. And that you, uh, you Where the hell that. did you dig that one out from? It's my job, mate. <laughs> Where did you get that? And, uh, I know. Is that uh, one still wanting me? That's on, uh, actually I think I got that from uh, the Ministry. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, remember, September. But I don't remember what that date was now. Now, I don't know if you spotted it, but basically two things happened there. One, I wanted to know the story behind the story, which is something I love doing with all my guests. Everyone, I mean, I'm always interested, like, what's the story behind the story? Like, the real story, like, the real story. Not the stuff that we've heard, not the stuff that we think, not the assumption that we hold, but the real story. And the second thing is, I'd done my homework. So I'd done a lot of research before I actually met them. And every single time I have a guest on, one of the biggest and best feedback I get is that people say they're always impressed with the homework I've done. And this is to show that I care because I really appreciate people giving me their time. And I want to make sure that when I speak with them, I, I, I show them that respect by showing them that I've done my homework, that I've read up about them. And there's a moment in the interview where they're really surprised that I've come up with this um, song that they came up with that they didn't know anyone knew about it. And so that created rapport, which I felt this huge, um, I want to say like sense of joy from it. And I think I've carried that throughout the years. Now, what's interesting is that that very interview then started me off on this journey where I basically stayed for two years in this company. And I lived across Lithuania, and then I went off to Kazakhstan, and I went to Bahrain, and then I went to South Africa, the Gambia, I went to Cyprus, and I went to Peru. And in those two years, there are too many stories for me to even begin to tell you. From meeting Daniel Craig in a bar in Lithuania, and watching, watching well, sitting next to him, I think there was um, Liev Schreiber, I think his name was, um, they were filming the film Defiance, and we started watching the England beat Australia at the Rugby World Cup, if I'm not mistaken. Um, there were just too many stories. Um, oh yeah, Yusun Dior as well, the singer behind Seven Seconds, I think it is, um, in the Gambia. And there was all these amazing human stories. But I want to talk to you about a few things that really anchored the birth of, years later, me launching a podcast. Now, one of them came in the shape that on the 27th of October, 2008, I got to interview this guy. My name is Carl Niehaus. I'm uh, executive director of a small investment and consulting company called MNC Investments. Dr. Carl Niehaus was the former ANC, the African National Congress spokesperson, and he was a close friend to Nelson Mandela, who 
opened up during my interview in a way that I had never experienced before or wasn't expecting. And that is when he talked about the fact that he was sexually abused, raped, after eight and a half years in prison on Robben Island, just before being released by fellow inmates. And there was this human connection that I felt. And that was the first time I realized that when you create a space, a safe space to open up, where you show your own vulnerability and when you allow people to be seen, heard, loved, they will flower up under the, the heat of being interested in. And that was a really special moment when he got emotionally teared up. And that was like a real moment for me where I was like, wow, this is really powerful. And in fact, this happened again, by the way, when I interviewed the Minister of Works, Constructions and Infrastructure of the Gambia, the Honorary Lamin A. Bojang, who became emotional when I asked him a simple question. Back in 1980, when you're back in the America, mm -hmm. did you ever perceive that the USA would elect the first African-American president to date in 2009? <laughs> no, but that, that, that is, that is uh, something I didn't think quite honestly would happen in my lifetime. And suddenly I didn't expect that it would happen so, uh, so quickly. And seeing him well up, while I was in this office with this minister was something truly remarkable and something that I'll always cherish and remember. And I know that if you've been listening to this show, you will know that I've had a few guests come on and being quite emotional, including Philip McKernan, who later on mentioned that it was the most emotional he's ever been on a podcast. But back to being in the job. I loved the part of the job of interviewing people. I hated the aspect of selling because I was creating this deep bond with people using, I want to say, almost like superpower of interviewing these people, getting them really interested and hearing their stories. And at the end, we'd come in and we'd sell them an advertisement space. And most of the time, they'd be surprised. They'd be like, I thought you were doing a report. And then we'd have to go in the hard sell. And, and we were good at it. You know, I even ended up becoming a program director a project director, sorry, and my team. I would train teams in sales. Even when I was a journalist and had a director, I would still help the team with the sales aspect. It was just something I was just really good at because it was something about human connection, understanding, and just conveying a message. And so I hated the aspect of sales, but I loved the aspect of um, interviewing. Now, this this happened again, by the way. So this, this I continued interviewing. When I, when I was in South Africa, something happened. I was so interested in hearing people's stories from the cab driver to the waiter in the restaurant to the director of the time of the Durban Free Trade Zone Agreement who used to smuggle in weapons from Mozambique during the apartheid. I just couldn't believe that in 2008, it had only been barely 14 years since Nelson Mandela had been elected as president of South Africa. And so I had all this rich information at the fingertips asking anyone I could about their stories and how was it like to live during the apartheid I remember asking one of the cabbies like what was it like to be black in South Africa how could you how could you remain a sense of pride and a sense of of direction and belief even though everything around you tells you that this oppressive system is going to last and it was like these amazing stories and these heartfelt moments shared and I didn't give a shit about selling advertising space. I didn't give a crap about that. What I really loved was stories. Even when I'd go into meetings, I remember the very first time I went to South Africa and I did an interview, my director at the time, Ruby, I remember the first time she saw me, she was like, okay, this is going to be a game changer. And that was because it wasn't so much that I was a very good salesperson, although I, I was a good salesperson. It was because I understood how to connect with people. 
and I knew how to make it instant connection with people and interview and I loved it and that that was because I developed this over the years of, of working and interviewing a bunch of people now by this point I'd traveled around um the world, I guess, and I ended up in Peru. And my very last interview, and this is funny, I've just realized this recently. My very last interview was on the 14th of September, 2009, and I interviewed the Minister of Foreign Relations of Peru. Um, before we talk directly in terms of the relations between Peru and China, I'm actually quite interested to find out how is your ministry playing an active role in maintaining the peace and stability within the region in Latin America in order to create a favorable environment for investors, and particularly from China? What you just heard was the very last question I asked under the payroll of AFA Press Group, and then I left. Now, again, I'll do a whole different podcast episode about this whole transition, especially around career change, but let me just put it this way. It was a very dark time in the world and life of Mark LaRouste. I forgot who I was. I lost my identity, my identity pegged to what I did of this big crazy life of traveling around the world and having all these luxury accommodations, hanging out with all these celebrities and very influential people, coming back to living in my parents' house and just not knowing who I was. I'd put on a shitload of weight. I was pissing all my savings in stupid stuff I didn't need. And I just went through like this, this weird moment of just really not knowing who I was or what I wanted to do. And there was one thing I considered at one point was to go back and study. And I was thinking maybe doing a master's or maybe doing an MBA. Now, because I don't do things <laughs> the normal way, instead of going and applying for a conventional MBA, I actually ended up interviewing Frank Brown, the dean of INSEAD. And I think there was, on the year, it was the 19th of February, 2010. There was just a few days. It was like 10 days, I want to say, after my nephew was born. And... What was, in, what was incredible at this, this, this story, again, with Frank, what I realized, and I, I, really, I want to thank Frank for this, was that he made me realize that, in fact, I should probably go and work a few more years before going and doing an MBA because I was still quite young. And I also loved the way that he opened up. And, you know, he was the first dean that NCI had had that was coming from a business background, that wasn't an academic. And that's pretty tough. If you've ever worked in a business school, then you'll know what I'm saying. And it's quite difficult to be a pure business person without having the academic background. People can, you know, judge you or think that you may be not suitable for the job. But he made some tough decisions. But he also did some really great decisions, things like unearthing some of, you know, NCAD's USPs, unique setting points, such as the Blue Ocean Strategy, and he also really leveraged on the fact that INSEAD had a 10-month program and was still the first in the world to have 10-month program up to up to 50 years, condensing both speed and accuracy. And actually today, in the last FT ranking, INSEAD came the first business school in the world, which was, which was pretty amazing. And I didn't actually end up doing an MBA, but what I did do is actually join uh, INSEAD um, within the executive education program and join their team to help them run and coordinate uh, executive education program. Again, I'll, I'll talk about this in, in, in another episode, another podcast, because that's another part of the journey. And then I guess, I, you know, I hadn't interviewed in a while, people, and that, I kind of just forgot, but I still had my recorder, right? So that's that's how I managed to interview, um, I guess, Frank Brown's interview. And on the 27th of November, 2011, some of you might have heard the story before where I decided with two weeks notice and zero previous experience of competitive fighting to enter a sort of amateur mixed martial arts tournament. Now, it's, it's a very light version of mixed martial arts one, so I wasn't like in a cage. I wasn't facing Conor McGregor or anything like that. But it was, um, we, we had, we had, we had knee, was it like chin pad, chin, yeah, chin guards, whatever they called them, chin pads. 
uh, mouth guards and our boxing gloves. Actually, I think they were 12 inches or 8 inches. I forgot. But anyway, small gloves. And I got absolutely annihilated on the second, my second fight. Basically, I didn't tap out on time. Tapping out is when you basically say that you give up. I didn't tap out and my right knee busted out. But what I did do after, even if I had a busted knee, um, is that I interviewed Gael Coedic, who was the founder of the martial arts called Bugai, one of the first French guys to receive the black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. They used to train back with the Brazilian guys. So he was pretty much like a big deal. So he, he was like this... Um, yeah, he was like this, this, this kind of really interesting guy. And what I forgot to mention was that by the time I finished in Peru, my last interview at AFA, I had conducted 154 interviews, ranging from ministers, and that included 15 ministers. You know, we're talking about CEOs, business leaders, and so forth. So by the time I got to the end of AFA, I had a significant amount of interviews under my belt. And it wasn't until a few years later, actually after I moved to London from France to join the Movember Foundation, that I um, started becoming a coach. And this, this I'll say on, on, on a different different part. But what I will say is that I, I think it was on in March 2013, I came across the founders of Mentor App. I forgot how they got in touch with me, but I ended up meeting these guys. There were these young German entrepreneurs who started this app called Mentor App. And I thought at the time it was such a cool concept is basically have a coach or a mentor in your pocket that you can use your friends as a social leverage for accountability. And so I, I interviewed Luke and Nicolas on my show, and that was the first, I guess, form of podcast. I didn't even know what it was at the time, right? I didn't even know about podcasting. And I just, I think I just uploaded the file on my, on my blog at the time. I think it was Life in Shape, something like that. Um, and I uploaded it on, the, on, on my blog, and that was it. Kind of, that was like, for me, that was pretty, pretty radical, like just interviewing people on Skype and then uploading the audio file on my website, and I did that again in, I think in May 2013, it was with um, Brett Sanders, he founded Jim Buzz, who actually, he later on became one of my guests on The Unconventional, I got him back to talk about um, sort of what it was like to sort of build up this, his business, and that was, I guess, that was, those, yeah, those are the two different interviews, and then on the 6th of June 2013, I, I entered a whole new world, which was I, I did my first video interview with Daniel Terry. Gus Newsam was the guy who filmed it, actually. Thank you so much, Gus, if you're listening to this. And Daniel Terry was a Muay Thai champion, and it was an incredible experience of interviewing this guy who was just like such a humble guy. He was one of my Muay Thai teachers, and it was this belief that I had that not only does everyone have the story, but we can learn from everyone. And I, it was this beautiful moment of realizing in that moment that this is what I want to do. I want to do this talk show. I want to bring these stories to life by getting on video. So... A few years later, as you know, I decided to launch the Unconventional Podcast. Now, what I want you to understand is that before I even recorded my first episode of the Unconventional Podcast, which, by the way, was back in March 2015, and I'll tell you a story about this in a second, I had interviewed 163 people. So when I hear that people go, oh, but you know, you're so, you know, you're so gifted or talented, whatever, at, at creating the space and interviewing people, and I get this from guests, I get this from listeners. And I actually have now got to admit and say, it's because I've got a lot of experience. I've done a whole bunch of these interviews. So it's normal that I'm better at it or that I'm good at it. I'm not better than anyone else. But what I'm saying is that there's, there's, there's a reason why my craft seems on the outside like it may be a talent or a gift. And although they might be true at the start, it's the craft that's kept me going. Because from the first moment I recorded my, my first podcast, and by the way, for the anecdote, I was supposed to interview Anna McNuff, 
who was running the length of New Zealand back in the day because I had been invited to join London's 50 most inspiring people. I think it was like Inspired 50. And I went to the launch event and I brought my friends and family and I was like, why the hell am I here? I feel like a bit of a fraud. And so I was among all these amazing people like really inspiring people who had done all these incredible adventures and journeys. And I was part of this. And through that, I Anna, Anna McNuff had given this kind of Skype call video from New Zealand. And I love the energy. And I was like, I just want to be able to to show people, you know, that we can we can do this kind of uh, amazing stories and and that we, we should be able to, to share them, you know, with the world. And so I actually sent an email and then she said, oh, I can't, you know, I was supposed to think interview, but she couldn't. So she recommended that I got in touch with a friend Ed Hewitt, who had walked the distance from Bangkok to Birmingham. And that was my very first guest. And actually, I'm going to reread the email that I'd sent to him, which says, I've got this big crazy idea to launch a podcast that will help people overcome their fears of making the leap of faith towards whatever their big R stream project goal is. In short, I'm tracking people who said, fuck it, I'll do it anyway. And that was it. That was what I sent him. That's how I started. I'm going to just, and if you go back to the very first episode of The Unconventionalist, you're going to hear me say, welcome to the yet to be named podcast. I didn't even have a name when I started the show. And 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 that that's another lesson I want to say is like, you can get started without even having all the nitty gritty bits and details finished. Now, over the years, looking back at this now, depending on how you calculate this, but let's, let, let's say we go back towards my first day's on the university radio. That was 12 years ago. Since then, I've interviewed over 200 people from 25 different countries. If you want the exact number, it's 214, I believe. And that's the reason why I love this so much. It's taken me that amount of time to, I guess, sharpen my knife and to realize that this is what I love doing. Now, this is part one of a part three series on the origin stories of the unconventionalist, but I wanted to record this because I wanted to really remind you that we make up that a lot of the people that we perhaps are inspired by, look up to, I do this by the way all the time, and my guests do that with other people too, and that we make up that they're different, that they're special, and that we're different, that we don't have what it takes to achieve what they have. And I really hope that somehow this episode and this message is going to resonate with you in some way. I want to let you know that it's not the case. I, I'm i not a born gifted interviewer. In fact, there's a little recording I'm going to share with you, which was <laughs> this. So I don't know how I'm going to explain this because it's. I guess it's one of those things that you have to be there. But back in, I think it was March 2008, uh, my director at the time, Matthew Olsinski, had this idea that I was going to interview the CEO of Roxy Petroleum, a guy called Rob Schoenbrood, I think. I, can't, I still can pronounce his name. And one of the challenges that Matt gave me was to pronounce his name as many times as possible. The problem was, as I'm dyslexic and his name, for some reason, totally threw me off. I started off my interview the worst way that you can start with someone, and that's by doing this. So, Mr. Oh, sorry, I would like to mis- not mispronounce your name, so if you wouldn't mind repeating one last time how to pronounce your name correctly. I'll well, just say Schoenbrood. Schoenbrood, yeah. yeah. Now, what you probably don't realize because the audio is really bad is I, I launched into this question and totally, totally messed up his name to the point where I just went like, sorry, would you mind telling me your name again? And that's when I was, I want to tell you, like, if you fall, make it part of the dance. There are 154 interviews that I conducted while I was at Apple. Trust me, most of them weren't that good. Most of them I made loads of mistakes and I still do. But the thing I do know now 
is that the reason why I am so comfortable at speaking with anyone, it's because I realize that everyone I've met, be it a president of a country or a minister of a country or an ambassador or a CEO or a chairman of a humongously successful company, when it comes down to it, we're all the same. We all have a yearning for connection. We all have a yearning for respect, for understanding, for being heard, for someone to take interest or care about who we are, what we've been up to, but also to be able to relate and connect. And if you understand that, and trust me, having done all these interviews over all these years, it's, it's that that is the fundamental truth, that we are all the same. And if you can understand that, truly understand that, viscerally understand that, then you understand that you too have to start. That every single person that you look up to, that you are inspired by, that you want to emulate or want to become, whatever it is that you make up, they too started. There's this great quote that I heard somewhere around, you know, people talk about the Tim Ferrises and the Noah Kagans and all those people who've got like these huge hundreds of thousands, if not millions of, of lists on their mailing lists. They all started with one email. You know, so if if one thing that you want to do this year is to launch your own podcast, start now. Don't wait. There is no reason for you to wait. Whatever it is that you made up that you need more of or are not ready to stop. I am giving you permission to start today. Because if it's like me and it's going to take you up to 10 years to master this craft. And by the way, when I say I've interviewed, you know, 214 people over the last 12 years, let's get real here. I think it's something like 95% of those interviews took place from 2007 to 2009. So it was a very condensed period of time and I was rusty in between. But my goal is to double that number in the next maybe 12 months or probably two years to be more realistic. I want to get as many interviews as I can out there so that you can understand people's messages and you can understand that they are no different than you. I hope this was helpful. I genuinely believe that you have everything you need to get started today. The longer you wait, the harder it's going to be for you because you're going to keep on wishing that you'd started yesterday. There's an old quote that I'm going to butch. It's going to say something like, the best day to plant a tree was yesterday. So start today. Stay tuned. We're going to have part two of this series It won't be next week because next week we're going to be speaking about depression and how to overcome it through nutrition, yoga, and meditation. Thanks to Lauren coming on the show. But we're going to be talking about how I realized in part two that performing and entertaining was something that I wanted to make The Unconscious part of. So stay tuned for that. Until then, if you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend that needs a little bit of inspiration and a reminder to get started today that everyone start somewhere that if you heard the evolution of my interviewing style over the years it's embarrassing to look at to listen to it now i mean i don't know what was that voice back in 2004 but that's just the reality i think we're all forgetting that we all started like if you look at any of these websites that you look at when they started off it was crap and that's what i want you to do just get over the perfectionist get over having to look good and just get started it would mean the world to me if you went over on itunes or on your phone and you subscribe to the show you left a rating and leave a review. Let me know what you think of this show, if it's helpful. And you can always connect with me on Twitter and on Facebook. And if you're listening to this, check out my upcoming workshops. You can do that on marklaroost.com where I'm going to be launching some uh, workshops on how to do your 
podcast, how to launch your own podcast, how to start your own movement, how to build a personal brand, and how to turn your passion into business. That's that's what I help you do. I want to help you do what I've been doing over the last years, which is to try and build this passion of mine and figure out a way of how can I monetize it, how can I make it into a business that is of service to others and that enables me to do the work I love. And speaking with you today, that's exactly the kind of work I'm talking about. And until next time, remember, you are more than enough. You are more than ready to start today. And as a final golden nugget to celebrate today's episode, I give you the one and only Mr. Corsini performing a song to celebrate the good old days. I cast my mind back to a long time in my past. The blast from my love split left a hole in my heart. It had me clutching the straws, my eyes sores. Like trying to open locked doors or fighting bloody trench wars. Scarred by your love's claws, my own flaws. I'm left clutching in my yard, talking down on road drawers. Why did it all happen? My mind state, I'm still attacking. Now sifting plane wreckage. My figure stays black and half flat and won't give. Our passion won't give, won't survive. It's like a Took a fatal nosedive Now I'm trying hard to remember your face Just in case you retrace Like finding lost stars in interstellar space A higher place, a higher plane My mark of Cain Live with it every day like it's mundane Like blown electrical mains I'll never take your name in vain It's ingrained on my frame It goes All I need in this life is sin It's being my girlfriend Terrorize the very end Being my girlfriend All I need in this life is sin Just a moment I was lost, stayed trapped in your gaze Your smile conjured images of childhood days See, I couldn't take my eyes away Lifted up on a higher plane Try to speak my mind so you'd say So I'm checking my chest, okay I'm still breathing Checking if you're real, still here, still believing Not the right time to be daydreaming In a minute you'll be heading for the door and leaving As I'm questioning everything that came before Still rambling and babbling Being a bore, distractions in action Due to spiritual attraction They hold on your heart Try and take a fraction About when we first met, 17 years old, how could I ever forget that cheeky little grin? Knew you were trouble at first sight. I wanted to know more, tried to gain an insight. Used to wonder how it'd be. You next to me, fitting like a glove, knew you'd set my mind free. See, you set my heart racing, fear I'm facing. No more running from myself with false dream chasing. But don't be getting me wrong, it wasn't love at first sight. Took some time till we were strong, but we'd end up so tight and separable. You'd have to tear me away. See, you made my soul smile, always wanted to play. Set my worries to rest, yeah, I was to be blessed Not all care in the world, forgetting how to be stressed I knew I'd make or break, I hope to stay strong Three months in, I was already far gone If you're still listening, you're officially made of awesome Stay tuned for part two of the origin story of the unconventionalist When I tell you how 
at one point dressing up as a dragon, pretending to die multiple times, led me towards a path of passion to perform.